Welcome to the International Collective of Female Cinematographers podcast, where every week we will be talking to a different cinematographer and listening through their stories as they navigate the filmmaking world, sharing secrets and experiences to empower our community. The ICFC is a collective of professional female cinematographers from around the world who provide each other with community support and industry advocacy. We are your hosts, Emilia and Akina. Today, we're so excited to welcome Jojo Lamb. We'll be discussing building the foundations of your career abroad, transitioning to working in the United States, reinventing oneself in Paris, and the emergence of AI. Thank you, Jojo, for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So we're just going to start right off the bat with uh, what we've been asking everyone. Um, So tell us how you started out as a filmmaker and how did you become a DP? Um, Okay. Uh, (laughs) Long story short, I'm, uh, yeah, originally from Hong Kong and uh, I grew up watching um, a lot of films. That's not a very original answer, but I had access to like a lot of foreign films specifically because those were the films that would like typically go on sale because no one was interested in them back in the days of DVDs and VCDs and stuff. And so I got interested in that pretty, pretty early on. And, um, and I moved to Australia when I was about 16. And I did my last two years of high school there learning English and stuff, um, and basically got exposed to like a media class. And we had to do like a film, a short five minute film project, shot that on the, uh, how's it called? Oh, random camera and and edited on iMovie I think that was that was what it was yeah um <laughs> got a got a real taste for that and then I actually just started like kind of volunteering crewing on like uh film projects I did um uh I did like a night school at this like uh university called Victorian College of the Arts in Melbourne at the time and yeah and met a ton of great filmmakers there and then on the weekend and so I was just like crewing. And then from then onwards, it kind of continued. I, I moved to London after that, was supposed to study film, uh, did that for a year, you know, uh, due to kind of like unforeseen circumstances, kind of dropped out, but then continued crewing as well. Um, and this time more specifically in kind of like an electrics and then kind of camera system professionally, but didn't know at the time I was really interested in cinematography. I still thought maybe I wanted to direct or kind of trying to figure it out. And then it was over, yeah, maybe four or five years that I understood I was actually interested in it, especially by kind of, yeah, like assisting great DPs and things. And then, and then ended up in, moved to Paris to kind of basically relaunch myself as a, as a DP, because I kind of learned that when people know you professionally as, as crew especially at that time which is now about 10 years ago people mm-hmm. kind of uh how do you say uh, pigeonhole uh, pigeonhole thank you that's <laughs> the word pigeonhole you so i learned french started working in film there and was only doing kind of small projects and then wow this is not a short version at all i ended up applying <laughs> for afi didn't expect to get in but got in and then studied there for two years between 2018 to 2020 met the wonderful Amelia there and then <laughs> COVID hit and then the, here we are. <laughs> Why Paris to reinvent yourself? That's that's an interesting choice because usually when people talk about moving to cities or bigger cities to um, expand their careers in filmmaking, they're talking about, you know, Los Angeles or New York or maybe even London. Paris seems a unique answer. So why Paris? It was, it was more to do with where I was at the time. So I was already 
in London. And so I was like, well, I didn't want to spend yeah another 10 years assisting and moving up from a second to a first. And also my partners from Paris, I had kind of been going back and forth between there anyways. And then I guess as a bit of a cinephile, it was just like this kind of, you know, cliche <laughs> fantasy <laughs> that I had of like, oh, you know, you'll be exposed to so many cinemas and, and filmmakers and things. So I just thought, mm-hmm. Why not? So it's kind of like an in-between thing that I, that I did. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, your bio also says that you're um, based out of L.A., New York and Paris still. Um, can you talk a little bit about your little trilingual, speaking English, uh, French and uh, Chinese? Uh, how do you balance like being based out of three different cities that are in three different have very distinct culture and a very distinct vibe to them? Like, how do you balance that? Well, I feel like between LA and New York, it's 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 a bit of this bicoastal thing that we're almost obligated to be. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, I feel like LA and New York is it's 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 close. I mean, I'm still. I only moved to New York about uh, now, almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still very very new to me. And and um, yeah, LA is very different. I think I, I yeah, I'm still have connection with Paris and. And London, and I guess for those that lived there, you know, both in both those cities for about like three to five years at a time. So I kind of just keep in contact with with crew and filmmakers, and 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 I suppose the the decision to move to New York was to kind of to keep a connection with the Europe and the UK because I did try doing that in LA, and it just kind of proved to be a little bit difficult in terms of time difference and, and, you know, the amount of time it takes to fly there and things. So yeah, so New York was kind of like the good in-between choice for now. How would you say working is different in Europe for, you know, some DPs who have never worked internationally? And I know you work really at kind of everywhere, right? So what would you say are some things that are different from a DP perspective? I feel like in Europe, and like, you know, maybe I'm sure you have something to, to add to this. I feel like with, with Europe, it's kind of similar to working in New York in a way. Like I noticed the difference, especially between crew is kind of, they're a bit, well, depending on budget, obviously, but they could be a bit smaller, but the yep. crew are also more used to like flights of stairs and, you know, yeah. the weather, <laughs> um, you know, they don't scream when they see like raindrops. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's. I'm, absolutely true yeah yeah i'm pissing off so many la crews right now um <laughs> but um but yeah i would say uh europe is similar in that sense in a practical level and then i um i think there's also they're also a bit different in terms of yeah just like shorter hours which you know is something that of course we can spend a lot of time talking about but in in paris it's about uh, 10 hour days and it's one hour lunches and so for example i shot like a, a french short film in guadeloupe like one year ago and i remember it was a short film of maybe 20 25 pages long but we shot for like 10 days you know and then the 10 hour was like very respected every single day you know the the turnaround was 12 hours it never kind of went over and i think as a dp it's like there's the practical sense of sometimes you kind of go, oh, I wish we can go a little bit over time to, let's say, like finish a day and the location yep. that you have, you know, vice versa, or you have, you have found a vibe. At the same time, I guess you just never quite as burnt out as you might be on, let's say, like, I don't know, music videos or whatever, like in American productions where you just go over to like 16 or 17 where no one's brains are yep. working really anymore. And then I would say that in Europe, there's maybe also a bit more 
prep. There's a bit more prep, I think. Yeah, depending on the, the different productions, I think it, it kind of varies, but um, more prep and also, and then the, the rates are lower, if that's mm. a concern to, to anybody. It's like, you know, the budgets are smaller, so the rates are lower, but you have better in general kind of like, how do you say, like uh, social security. And this is speaking particularly to France, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, cost of living adjustments, right? There's a lot of a lot of factors that go into that. So, I mean, as a follow up question for, you know, so when you moved to Paris, how do you, do you navigate kind of networking and finding a new, you know, circle of people to work with? And like, how did you go about that? Because I think a lot of people are scared mm-hmm. to, you know, leave because they have their network, especially if they went to grad school, a certain place, you know, um, mm-hmm. to kind of start over and be like, how do you break your how do you step in, I guess? Right. Yeah, it's a really, it's an interesting question. I mean, it took me ages to step in and I think I'm still stepping in sometimes. You know, I think speaking the language is just pretty, pretty crucial, um, yeah. mm-hmm. especially to do with, I mean, to, with, with any countries really. But I guess I had, I basically did a test before I officially moved out there where I kind of would go back and forth like every month or two where I would just spend mm-hmm. like the weekend there. Um, and I would just kind of spread the word in between, you know, friends that I already knew or or Facebook or any kind of like social media platform be like, oh, I'm kind of coming out, would love to, you know, kind of like meet folks. And then I also went to screenings, you know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible networker, I, I, I think, but I, I try to push myself to go to those and, and you know, hang around and cook Q&As and stuff. And then, you know, inevitably there's always someone, you know, around the corner that's probably as much of an awkward person as you are. So you kind of strike up a conversation. And then when you go in as like a band of two, suddenly it's like a little bit less terrible, you know? So yeah, so I, I did that, but I, I, I can be honest and say that my kind of like network community of filmmakers in Paris, like I didn't quite establish myself enough as, especially as like a narrative DP, just cause you know, I mean, Anna and Amelia and I have both gone to AFI. So it's like when you don't necessarily like if you don't come from the country and you don't have a film school or you don't go to a course, it's pretty hard to convince mm-hmm. somebody yeah. to be like, right. I yeah. can I can shoot your short film, yeah. you know, and then and also to be like, oh, and I would know crew and I would mm-hmm. like, I don't know, yeah. have good relationships with rental houses. So I struggled with that quite a lot. And it was like a, a difficult balancing act to like also try to make a living at the same time and like j- like with your work, but also grow and learn simultaneously because mm-hmm. you're still, especially in like, let's say more like the branded world or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, then there's still like clients or agencies or whatever involved. And then you're just struggling with all of those things that at the end of the day, I feel like your vision could get a little bit compromised, especially if mm-hmm. you're like new, mm-hmm. which led to why I actually applied Backtracking a little bit, when you were talking about the 10-hour days, you know, the more European system, do you feel that when you don't, when you're not subjected to like the more traditional American model in which we are working longer days, longer hours, you're able to have a better work-life balance? And if you do, what do you do with that time? Yeah, no, you do. You definitely have a better work-life balance balance i don't know if i have a really good one (laughs) but like i mean i'm trying to think of like specific examples i guess in in france for example there's this this thing called like uh spectacle which is this and i don't even know how to translate it into english but it's like a a special kind of like benefit thing that looks up for people who work in the entertainment industry 
where if you work, it's a bit like, you know, being in the union, I guess, where you work a certain amount of hours per year. And once you've hit that cap, you can then be able to like, essentially, you can choose to either not work and make like the average minimum of, of your salary that you've been making mm-hmm. from like those 300 something hours that you work, or you can choose to keep working, but you can just take that time off regardless as you as you want. So uh, a good example, yeah, would be like, let's say you do like two features and a couple of commercials a year, you you can you then actually have the option to like, yeah, take the rest of the year off and live on like a much smaller salary, mm-hmm. but be like really picky with your projects if you wanted to, you know, or or actually go like hang out, you know, with your friends or, or look after your family, you know, and all of those those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I since I wasn't like partaking in that thing so much, I never really had that. So I don't I would say yeah, I don't I don't have a very good work-life balance. And I'm trying to have a better one now that, that I live here. And uh, any hobbies that you do or anything outside of the business that you do? Or no, that, no, it's okay too. <laughs> no, 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 I, I, no, I read. I read, I go to the gym, that's really boring. I, I'm also really interested in photography. And even though that's kind of related to the industry, um, mm-hmm. I guess it's in quite a different way where it's, yeah, it's in, particularly in documentary mm. photography. And I go to a lot of exhibitions and look at a lot of photo books. And of course, th- all those things can be inspiration for our line of work. But I think that's also what makes filmmaking kind of wonderful, which is that you can yeah. kind of draw inspirations everywhere. You know, like yeah. even when I read a book, it's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. And traveling. Uh. Sorry. <laughs> I like to travel. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what's a piece of advice you wish you had when you were starting out? Ooh. Tough one. I think, I mean, I kind of wish when I was starting out that I would just kind of believe in myself more potentially and and also just know that there are like a variety of, of options, mm-hmm. like varieties of ways to become a DP or a filmmaker and regardless kind of like your circumstances or or whatever, you know, um, I'm, I'm definitely someone who is like, you know, AFI was very, you know, uh, significant for me and important for me, but also went at a time where I knew exactly what I wanted out of it. And I didn't want to like put myself in debt or, or anything like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and I'd also learned so much from all those years of crewing that those things were also invaluable. So I think, I, yeah, I guess when I started, I just wish, I don't know, I would kind of doubt myself a little less and actually maybe enjoy shooting more like to Mm. not put so much pressure into like everything you shoot and I think that still applies now to be like you know the and the best is not the right word like the most beautiful or the most interesting or the most whatever because I think as your career actually kind of grows the pressure just gets higher and higher and 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 I think the room to experiment is actually less and I think if you think about the amount of time you spend like thinking about like your career as a DP and also your work and then like other people's work and then the films that you watch, you're basically 99% of the time just living that. Mm-hmm. And if let's say like 70% of that, it's just like filled with anxiety, then it kind of just does quest- <laughs> doesn't quite make sense, I think. So I wish I knew that. Yeah, I think those would be and, and just like build, you know, I think, yeah, try to have a better work-life balance and like be be involved in your community of, of peeps, whether that be family, whether that be friends. I think you really need that, you know. Speaking of community and anxiety, you graduated at the beginning of the pandemic. How did the pandemic affect your career going out into it, you know, after that graduation? What was the impact of that? Like stepping into this crazy world? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it wasn't so long ago that I have hindsight quite 
yet. But no, but no, definitely it was terrifying. It was it was terrifying and uh, and kind of amazing at the same time, if I'm being perfectly honest, just in mm. the sense that I guess we knew nobody was working like at all. So yeah, there was kind of no anxiety about like, you know, who's doing what and, and, and when you're going to get the next job. Just like, yeah, no, no one else is. So mm-hmm. no, it definitely impacted. I mean, I, I, I think it changed where I ended up living. You know, um, I was I was going to, yeah, graduate, of course, like in in L.A. and then kind of, you know, do this like uh, OPT, which is this um, kind of visa thing that you have for international students for for one year. You know, it was kind of quite mm-hmm. fixed. But what ended up happening was I actually went back to Paris where my partner still still lived and basically like did my lockdown there and started working back on projects there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of had a different kind of just like, yeah, trajectory to, to, to everything. So. I ended up coming back to LA in 2021 and then, you know, tried to work consistently throughout that. But I still remember the beginning of 2021 was still pretty scary and work was still pretty quiet, you know? Um, So I think, and I don't know what you guys think, but I think like most people I know ended up having like a very reflective time of over what they really like, what kind of projects they really want to do, what kind of, you know, what kind of time they really want to be like, what, yeah, what kind of people or what kind of project they want to be spending their time on just because that time ended up being pretty like, mm-hmm. you know, serious um, for lack of a better word. Need to hire a cinematographer? Well, look no further than the ICFC's member online database. We boast over 300 highly qualified cinematographers for all your filmmaking needs. Visit our site now and find your next superstar collaborator at icfcfilm.com. And your uh, feature Playland, that is, is that your first feature? Yes. Yes. So your feature, your first feature Playland um, ended up at Rotterdam. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, uh, that was a very, so Playland is a very special project that it was kind of part of COVID, very much part of COVID. The director, Jordan West, uh, reached out to me basically by email. I think it was the end of 2020. And they mm-hmm. had found my work on Free the Work, uh, funnily enough. Mm. But yeah, somehow, yeah, they were they were, they were looking for a DP and um, they found me up there. And um, we connected basically over Zoom because at the time, yeah, I was in Paris. They were in Boston and basically, yeah, send me like this kind of very intense kind of like 20 page, 30 page deck with like research and kind of like costume and everything, you know, something that basically showed me, obviously, they were very serious about their their projects. So I was like, okay, no matter what, I'm going to have a chat and, and ended up really connecting over Zoom. And basically, uh, I, I guess to give a little bit of playground on Playland, it's like a, quite an experimental uh, kind of like. I, I guess, yeah, art house film that is trying to kind of talk about, well, trying to depict like the oldest gay bar uh, that used to be in Boston, where it existed between, I think, the late uh, late 20s, early 30s, all the way up until the 80s and the 90s until, mm. you know, kind of um, obviously gentrification with, with, with the area and everything kind of got torn down. And essentially, it has never, the bar has never really been documented um mm-hmm. and i guess we can talk a lot about you know kind of like lgbtq spaces in general especially at that time it's obviously mm-hmm. not very yeah well documented and so the director wanted to essentially kind of resurrect the space almost um so the mm-hmm. the film is entirely shot on stage and they built um you know the the bar with just like very few photos that they found but also mm-hmm. the the director spent like 6 months working in 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 a, in a gay bar i think mm-hmm. 6 months to a year 
Um, and they really ba- they really wanted to kind of document like the lives of of the people who work in these bars because I think in mm-hmm. popular culture we always kind of see a very performative aspect of, of kind of like queer people whether it be like you know people who go to parties or you know if you look at like RuPaul on TV or whatever mm-hmm. um, and and the director yeah really wanted to kind of go into the other part where it's kind of about just the kind of like the mundane aspect of also working in these spaces and kind of how how diverse it used to be but also just yeah how how, how boring and kind of hardworking you know so they ended up doing that and um and we shot it in we prepped and almost entirely over zoom i would say like 80 percent wow of the film yeah yeah um because there was i when we when i officially jumped on board i moved back to la and they were still in boston and obviously it's a very low budget film so there was just no money in terms of kind of flying each other out mm-hmm. but it was lucky that it was this type of project where it was possible mm-hmm. since the, this, the stage is gonna the bar is gonna be entirely built anyway so we just had kind of like weekly meetings with the uh with the production designer with the costume designer kind of just mm-hmm. talking about what was needed and yeah and we shot it at the end of 2021 and yeah and, and it recently went to uh, premiered at uh, That's pretty amazing. So speaking of projects, I know you 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 work in a, di- a bunch of different spaces, narrative, uh, commercials, music videos, uh, shorts, all that stuff. So just putting stuff up in the universe, like if you could get hired for anything, just shoot anything, anything at all, what would it be and why? That's a tough one. Tough question. Anything at like any time? Like, no. Any- I mean, anything. Like someone puts it, you, but I was like, I can uh, you can shoot anything you want. It could be like your ideal project and you have unlimited budget and like no time restriction. Like what what project would you choose to shoot? Why? Uh, I guess it would right now, because I mm-hmm. think this this changes right now, it definitely be a narrative project, mm-hmm. ideally drama. And I don't need unlimited budget, just like a nice <laughs> and healthy one would be cool to start. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I'm just looking for and this is kind of what I'm currently doing, which is reading a lot of scripts, just looking for like a, a story that, for lack of a better word, matters slash kind of translates in many different um, spaces. I guess that's why maybe we're not directors because I'm not coming up with, you know, <laughs> the the idea. But that's what I would love to do right now. And maybe in a more traditional sense, it's like if you think back on like the really good dramas in, uh, in like the year like 2000 or something, films mm-hmm. like... Um, uh, what's this film called? Like Birth, you know, by yeah. like Har- shot by Harris Savides. Like that type would be would be wonderful. Where I go, you know, the budget is not too small, it's not too big either, and it's still very kind of personal, um, and slightly kind of like yeah, artistic projects where you can really just like collaborate and experiment on a much bigger scale. I think. Okay, so it's actually a three parter. So, what is your favorite movie? What is your comfort movie? And by that, we mean like the thing that just makes you feel really good. Like the the thing you'll watch when you're like sick or just need to feel just warm and fuzzy and cozy. I don't know. And then the last one is what's the movie that influenced your cinematography the most or influenced you as a cinematographer the most? Okay. I need to have a think. I came into this underprepared. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done a podcast before. I'm sure you can tell, but no, you're doing great. I think I actually made a note somewhere. 
Hmm. Let me have a because I get asked this obviously by directors or agents. Or, That's so um, funny. You have a stock answer. It's just like I, you know, I'm I'm sure you guys feel the same. Like that question is really hard because it keeps yeah. changing all the time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to think like what's my favorite film. Oh my god, this is terrible. Could I maybe talk about like my favorite film of like the last like year? Yeah, totally. Yeah. That might be a little easier. So one of my favorite films of last year was After Sun by Charlotte Wells. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that that film. Um, And I think kind of blew open a little bit like, I mean, gave me a little bit of hope in terms of what cinema could still be in terms of kind of like small kind of, you know, day in a life type of story. Mm -hmm. But that can expand so much further out into just like exploring themes of kind of like memories and and, and identities and perspective. So I really, I really love that film. I actually met the the DP of that film at at Rotterdam. I had a really cool, geeky chat just about what he was doing (laughs) um, with that film. That was great. Oh, you know what? I know what my favorite film is now, if I can still answer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, top three. Because I don't think you can ever choose. It's uh, Happy Together by Wong Kar Wai. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 From the like, Wong person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm a Wong oh, Kar Wai person. Yeah. I know. Give, you know Hong Kong We're is a little, little show. Yeah. yeah. We all are. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, Chunking Express has a really uh, big part of my heart. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. yeah I, I, think, I think it would be hard to find a DP who wasn't like somewhat influenced by one film of one car wise, you know, uh, yeah, especially, yeah. especially DPs, I think just the way that he, you know, experiment with, uh, with yeah, visual language. But yeah. Happy together. It's for sure. One of my favorite. It's, it's mm. in fact, I think a film that I watch like every time I go do a project that is like, especially kind of like narrative, mm-hmm. you know, when, you know, sometimes how, when you're kind of like really bogged down and, and prepping, you start to not see the film anymore and you just like, Oh, I don't know, you know, and you, you're kind of getting very like rudimentary about everything. And I would like put that film on and just be like, nope, you can do it <laughs> really <laughs> however, you know, however you want. And it's so much just about like feeling and the time and the place. And I think mm-hmm. it relates to what I was saying with After Sun as well. It's like, I feel like once you can evoke that, mm-hmm. you know, then the rest you can kind of, yeah, yeah. be easier yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. And then comfort film, you said. Yes. Ooh. I really don't know. I feel like all the DPs want to have like a very heady answer for this. But yeah, I, I, no, we're like not really like heady answer. Nineties rom com, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm really trying not to give a heady answer. It's the opposite. I'm like, okay, what do I truly like watch when I'm just like a little bit sick? And I feel like that's usually a TV series. But yeah, I think I don't rewatch a lot of films. Well, then what TV series is the thing you watch? That's your comfort TV yeah, series. Yeah, what TV are you watching? Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's um, fine. Um, yeah, comfort TV series. Uh, I would say Mad Men, actually. Mm-hmm. Nice. I had I had rewatched that enough times to be like, it's still like. You know, it's 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 like yeah, it's comforting, but also be- like you know, beautiful to watch. And I feel like you always get like a you know something new when you watch it, anyways. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my favorite one of my favorite shows probably, and for sure, comfort shows. And what I'm watching at the moment, I feel like like everybody else, like Succession. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mainly. I mean, there's so much TV. I if if I were to start, it's probably going to be unhealthy. But <laughs> no, I think that all the time. I think I watch yeah. too much TV. I'm like, this something wrong. Yeah, yeah. There's a 
I alternate a lot between like new shows and then stuff that feels comforting. Um, Cause I, I think a lot of the new shows are really dense sometimes and I, they're great, but I'm just like, okay, I need something a little bit fluffier just before I see the next episode. But yeah. what are your comfort films or shows? I'm choosing not to answer. Uh, <laughs> mine's really embarrassing. My comfort movie is, um, God, it's really bad. So I grew up watching all these like, the world ends films like you know like the core or like armageddon my mom and i we love to watch them so like my comfort film is the day after tomorrow i was thinking uh, i had that poster in my head i was like that's a great film yeah so that's what i watch <laughs> to feel comforted which is weird it's a weird embarrassing thing with it yeah that's 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 it yeah i mean i i still can't watch armageddon without tearing up a little bit so yeah you know yeah, yeah. That, yeah. those sequence of shots when it's like the whole world mm-hmm. and they're like I'm yeah. Gone. yeah 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 there's something about those movies that are just yeah they're oh, fun yeah. yeah and it, it just i guess they always end up really hopeful at the end again i guess after all of that there, there's always a hopeful note at the end so it's the day after tomorrow hopeful though i feel like doesn't the world just kind of like collapse yeah it kind of freezes over <laughs> yeah but he finds jake john holney he does and they survive so survive. <laughs> I was going to say, okay, so the hope is finding Jake Gyllenhaal somewhere. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's and the there's, hope. And there will always be a tomorrow. You'll be okay. There's, there yeah. will always be a tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Um, so what's the film that's influenced you the most as a cinematographer or your cinematography the most? And that's the last part of that question. Okay. I, I, I think I've even written like an essay on this and of course it's not coming right now. I would say a, a film that's influenced me the most as a filmmaker, I definitely remember, mm-hmm. uh, was Persona by Igma Bergman. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I just hadn't seen something quite like that before. Yep. Again, yeah. char- character story that also kind of goes into symbolism and history. You know, it was just kind of like transformative images that like I didn't understand quite so well at the time and I still don't, I think, mm-hmm. now. But I, mm-hmm. I can rewatch it like infinitely and be like, wow, I completely didn't see this later to the story or or whatever. Yeah. Um, That's I think, one of my yeah. answers too. Yeah? Great movie, yeah. But yeah, I feel like I feel like that just an impact is I, I I like I remember kind of how old I was. I remember like, you know, I was in this and it was I was watching on a DVD and then just kind of completely blown away, but like lost, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, if 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 something can do that, that's pretty pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Vicini is a woman in Latina-owned boutique camera rental house based in Los Angeles. They are passionate about the nuanced design that goes into visual storytelling and as such are committed to supporting filmmakers tell their stories with the best tools available. Plus, for busy cinematographer or camera crew parents, they also offer childcare services during prep. So when you're looking for camera rentals for your next project, check out their extensive repertoire of optics and cameras at www.vicini.com or write to rentals at bcine.com for general inquiries. Okay, is there anything you'd want to talk about that we didn't touch upon in this interview? Anything you want to say or anything you want to And it to could be broad. It could be like topics yeah. in cinematography or yeah. we could be real techie or yeah. we could talk about gear. We could talk about AI. We could talk about the future of cinematography. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am pretty into AI. Or at least the, the the discussion of AI right now. I don't know mm. how that's gonna actually impact. I'm sure I'll have an impact on our on our career, especially with like mid journey and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I I can't quite grasp how we're gonna use it yet. Mm. Um. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, I 
I haven't done enough research on it to have an opinion still, but Akina has been doing a, a lot of research on it. No, I'm just starting to be polite to all of my electronics, you know? <laughs> that's my that's how I feel. I'm very polite to Alexa and Siri. <laughs> just in case, you know? Um, no, I, I think it's it's really a fascinating story, a fascinating subject to me, I think. Um Especially, I don't know if you heard, but there's kind of like a consensus that everyone should halt research on AI because the technology is developing faster than they are ready for and they don't have the safeguards in place. Yeah. Which, um, I think that, you know, it's funny because like we've watched so many movies about this, right? Like we yes. have been told. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. All jokes aside, I don't know how it's going to affect our future either. I kind of feel the same way. I see a lot of things. Mm-hmm going i mean like i imagine that like like sizzles or decks like aren't going to be pulled anymore we're not going to be pulling images anymore we're going to be generating images and for prep i think a lot of that kind of thing will be done um will be easy to do right and then as far as where the technology lands in terms of how good an image can be generated to the point where maybe you don't need to shoot it anymore Mm. Well, yeah, that's one of the interesting things. And like, I was teaching myself Unreal Engine a little bit over over the um, the pandemic and was trying to figure out, you know, how that was going to, with, with the onset of virtual production, I was like, well, you know, I might as well teach myself Unreal Engine because like, I was unsure about how much control I was going to be able to have over my images going forward, you know, because I hadn't been around the virtual production stage or didn't know how the pipeline works. So I was like, let me teach myself this other aspect of it, because if I am aware or knowledgeable about it, then I can still be a key component in the creative process going forward, depending on like where it lands. Right. So, yeah, I think... (laughs) I do have a bit of opinion of an AI, but like, I, I don't know, I guess, speaking of movies, I did a lot of, I've done a lot of research on cyborg cinema, especially um, like, that was one of my specialties in undergrad, actually, right, I, I took, I took way too many classes on cyborg cinema specifically. So I've probably seen about any, every form of AI explored in uh, 60s, 70s and 80s sci-fi. It does not end well ever. <laughs> um, so I yeah. guess... Part of me is like, but at the same time, I think one of the things that's interesting about the onset of AI, and I think what a lot, what cyborg cinema explores is like the question of what it means to be human. You know, when does, when does like, when does an AI become like a human itself? Does that make sense? So I think, I think that's what maybe feels threatening to us as well or scary because this thing could, like humans, could be very benevolent or it could not be benevolent i guess i don't know that's my thought on it yeah yeah i don't know i, th- I think i think one thing that kills maybe the, the scariest the, or, or at least that it's like imminent right now with with ai i, I suppose is like the ability of, of like the, their capability of generating yeah images to be quite uncanny and how that relate yeah. the news uh specifically and kind of like you know what's what's yeah. fact and then what's truth and i think that yeah. That to me feels like it's something that could go very wrong. Yes, yes like absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know? Or like the Pope in the puffer jacket. Yeah, the Pope in the puffer right. jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Or they yeah. could do yeah. that same with your voice. So it's it's like well, deep fakes and deep fakes. Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's the yeah, wild, wild west again. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, everyone's been saying that, like, you know, when digital came, we also said that, right? So yeah. it's just embracing new technology and kind of working with it and yeah, playing with it. And hopefully, you know, we all learn new things too. Yeah. 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 I, th I think it's a bit like, you know, the arrival of like the internet or something. Yeah. You, know, you just yeah. kind of, you, you can't like, you, can, you know, you can't run away from it. It's going to, it's going to probably stick around. But I think the only way to like be able to learn how to work with it is kind of just try to be in, as informed as possible, you know? And then yeah. I think one thing you were talking about with Unreal Engine specifically, like yeah. uh, kind of going back to cinematography was like, I wanted to try and learn that too. Cause I've always been really frustrated by like how, you know, and I think that's super specific to filmmaking where like when you're not working, it's really mm -hmm. hard to like practice what you do. Yeah. You know, like we, we can't paint, we can't like pull out a guitar and just, you know, it's like even, and then some people like to say, you know, especially kind of like older DPs like, Oh now you have this, you know, ability to shoot with your iPhone and, and this mm -hmm. and that. And I was like, sure. And, and I've seen some people, take that to like a pretty advanced level um, because I think ultimately it's like about an eye and a perspective, but I'm talking yeah. about like technical, you know, kind of yeah. like sometimes when you haven't been on set for a while and you go back on, you're like, oh, okay. You know, it takes you yeah. like a couple of hours to like rough in and stuff. I don't know. Like, what was your, I'm curious, like, what was your result with, with Unreal Engine? Like, were you able to kind of like get, I don't know, like lighting, you know, uh, certain techniques or effects to be as close as how it would be on on set let's say if you're like you know just like putting a flag in front of something or like cutting mm. or you know like how close did that did that get I, I mean I didn't go deep enough to really get there but I think I did get deep enough to a point where I was like oh this is actually really interesting as a I think it was like a previous tool or even just like as an exploration tool because I was like this is a great way that in which like even if I don't have access to the virtual production studio I can maybe create a space right in which I can have all these lights that mimic real lights and like I'm like well what if I put it here or what if I put it there what because you can put like a person in the space or like objects in the space and then see how the light falls on them and uh, the cameras in them have like different focal lengths and stuff like that and I'm like it would be cool if like they had like they mimicked actual like real lens sets because that would be cool because then you're pre-visiting it everything and i'm like for me it was more that it was like oh this could be a really really cool place to uh, to like play and like because i'm one of those dps that one of the reasons i love testing is because i just need to be there with the camera and like physically see what happens like I can understand theory, but I won't it won't actually like get through my thick skull until like I'm like, oh, that's how that works. And I have to sometimes make even that mistake or like have physically handle that light to know what it does. So for me, Unreal Engine was like, oh, OK, so that's what happens if you do this or you put this in front of this. Like, I think that's what's exciting about it. Um and it made it way and it's it's the initial steps have a bit of a steep learning curve but once you're past that it's like really easy and so i think there's a lot of benefits that we could use from from structures like that i think i saw i got to a point where i was like this has more opportunities and possibilities than like the detriments i guess but also understanding what it can do i think it's really what and i mean like unreal engine but like just new technology in general i think is really important for our jobs. I think it's not just 
Unreal Engine or AI. It's just anything that's coming down the line that's changing the landscape. I mean, like one of the most fascinating things I've seen coming down is uh, image-based lighting because you can load video, map uh, different lights, uh, like create a, like a wall of light, like map them and put video on them and then like have like realistic reflections that don't have weird color shifts or real weird aberrations that like an LED wall would have. So, you know, that to me is really exciting, you know, and I think that's really cutting edge. Um, and I think we all need to be aware of all these things that are coming into our industry because it's, it is becoming less and less purely analog, I guess is the right way to put it. So, but. No, no, I was, I was going to say, I really hope um like I see I've seen uh, spaces or communities like that, but kind of, I think that's, what's really great, mm-hmm. you know, about it. It's like kind of, yeah, trying to do more. Because I think, uh, yeah, our job as DPs now specifically is really so much about just being updated with yeah, new tools, new technologies. I mean, sure, you can always go to your your crew that interact with them much more often and kind of have them give you the lowdown. But I think yeah. ultimately it's like the more, you know, the more information, the the better, you know, Yeah. Um, at least in kind of like making the choices of like selecting tools or whatever. So I hope, yeah, these these kind of communities, organizations would, would kind of help. And like, you know, just like sharing of the information and like, I think there was some like demos being done in like LA and New York with, with ICFC as well. That's been pretty cool. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you hit it on the head. I think we all forget that these are all tools, right? And I think at the end of the day, our job is to know what the tool does so that when we use it, we're using it with intention and, you know, we're not using a wide brush for a fine detail because that ain't not going to work. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know? for sure. Personally, I feel like the, the threat there with AI is not so, so scary. It's more maybe the replacement aspect that, mm. that scares me a lot because if it's like if you, if you can distill like and analyze distinct kind of like uh distinct kind of i don't know styles or or perspectives or whatever then we really get into uncharted territories about like wait that's that kind of comes you know what i mean like that in a weird way comes with a certain consciousness almost like so if it's just on like a technical level that's that's fine because i think we all have a similar set of tools to do what we want to do like that's that's not going to change but if, if if it kind of can come with like and that's that gets into the kind of like philosophical realm but like you know, like feeling and the mm-hmm. way of looking, then then we're getting into that crazy cyborg stuff that you were talking about, you know? Like, imagine, like, you set up something, you you light it a certain way, and then your director's like, oh, I know, something, blah, 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 right? Um, and then it takes physical time to say, okay, let me swap something, right? Let me change the mood of the light. Let me yeah. change, like, something about it to make you whatever whatever it is that they want to see right Mm -hmm. that takes time but in an ai world that doesn't take time right Mm -hmm. so you could just boop boop beep beep and like that happens yeah that changes how we're going to work and that's why i was saying so much about how much of it you know is going to impact our prep because we could Mm pre-vis literally frame by frame our movie but then from there we're one step away from just saying do we even need to shoot this if they can get the graphics and the video and I, I don't know how I don't know what to think about the acting part so I guess <laughs> that <laughs> yeah yeah well isn't there a movie that actually explores the acting uh response I think it's called like Simone Sim- Simone yeah 
about like the world's first uh, like AI actor or something. Uh, yeah. Is that what is that like 2000? Yeah, 2000, maybe 2001, something like that. Yeah. Big topic of conversation. I just know yeah. that things never end well with the cyborg cinema stuff. <laughs> I know. That's why you got to be polite to them. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or watch out for how much you upload to the internet, I guess, to start also. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, what what's out there that can give uh, an AI or a system enough data to mimic you, I guess. But, I mean, isn't I would that just like Google in general? Like anything that you like upload... Yeah, just goes right. I was like, well, I was I was listening to this podcast episode about fraud and like cyber fraud, and um, and like how these people will sometimes scrape the internet for the data for your data and like gather it. And I was like, oh god, there's a you put a lot of data, like all these like uh, question security questions. A lot of people ask you like on the websites and stuff. Like we inadver- inadvertently will give that out, like um innocently and like we'll tag someone someone on our post right be like like a common security question will be like what was the name and make uh, of your first car right so like it might be something as simple as you tag you uploaded a picture of the first car you had like nostalgically speaking and we're like hey i'm so sorry to see this car go you we were together for 12 years and i have to scrap it whatever right like Google or these people can like scrape your data and find that. And then they're like, oh, you know, Emmy's first car was a Volkswagen Golf or whatever. You know, that that wasn't the name. That wasn't what I had. <laughs> Google, that is not what I had. Um, but then they'll have the answer to that security question. So like there is a lot of data you're we're putting out there. Um, annoying faces right like i Mm -hmm. think about um indiana jones and like how harrison ford is like de-aged by essentially stock footage of him when he was younger right yeah really is that how it happened yeah yeah Yeah. they did the same with star wars for the scene where um leia shows up uh one of the last ones because like um carrie fisher had died um, and they had a flashback, so they had an actress uh, play her, and then they superimposed younger Leia on her face. It's kind of creepy. But I mean, thinking about that, like, think about how much like your face is all over the internet, probably. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you did it to yourself. You posted a lot of it yourself. <laughs> well, when Facebook came out, we were young and dumb. We did not know better. Well, I know. Now- I was telling, I was yeah. telling a friend of mine that I. Um, I had platinum hair in six at 16 and she was like, she couldn't believe it. She was like, there's no, there's no fucking way. Let me see. And I was like, is there a photo? I don't know. Let me look. And I like dug deep in Facebook, you know, like mm-hmm. someone else's profile, like tagged, you know, like years and you know, I found it. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, still bad. Yeah. There's stuff out yeah. there. Love what we've been focusing on in this interview. What about the angle we've been taking? Have you found it? illuminating help us power our community by going to icscfilm.com slash friends and making a donation today we're an all-volunteer group and your support will help us keep our website rolling our events lit and our podcast honey okay maybe the last one's free but we do need your help for everything else and don't forget to subscribe 
No, I just, uh, I think one thing I remember I wanted to say. Sure. <laughs> that All I right. now have had some time to process yeah. in terms of advice, or because I think I gave pretty shitty advice before, um, <laughs> was actually to just like live and like travel and do all of those things and even get a different degree before you get into filmmaking, like the better. Mm-hmm. Personally, I find in, in the sense of like, you know, if you, if you think you want to be, I, I guess, specifically to anyone who listens to this podcast might be more like DP types or whatever. Just like, yeah, just take the time to 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 like grow as like a human, I feel. Mm. Um, and and before you kind of jump in and whether at, whether that be yet yeah, going through through a school or, or I mean, joining the industry, you, you can you can start as early as you want. But I think it goes back to what I was saying in the sense that once you start the line of work and if you're serious about it, I feel like you've got a pretty long um, you've got a pretty long path to go down, mm-hmm. you know, there and that, that there are going to be days that are really stressful when you're freelancing and you're kind of like waiting for like the next call or, or, you know, if you're in a school and at, at, at AFI, you know, like you'd be really stressed out about like crewing the next week and prepping to do your film the other week, you know, and I just think the more you can come into it or, or the more you can come into it with something in terms of just actual like experience or, or friendships or things you've seen, I think, the, the better because I think ultimately like one of the biggest thing I learn and I feel like I keep learning is that there are like multitudes of DPs out there who are like really technically efficient and that makes us mm-hmm. kind of all on the same and, and a similar level but the one thing that differentiates if, if, if anything is just like uh, perspective I think because there's like mm-hmm. no, there's nothing that's original there's nothing you know everything has been kind of tried and done yeah. already yeah so I think it's really about your unique way of kind of seeing and experiencing the the world that will just make you stand out, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think that's how you find kind of like your, your cohorts, you know, your directors, your producers, where they maybe see things in a similar way or or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually really great and, and uh, yeah, healthy. Yeah. No, agreed. Look, uh, I don't, I, you pay me for my eye not my equipment right you know that's that's what is we should be paid for like and by my eye i mean like the way we see the world our perspective our experience and the aesthetic we come from we we come with yeah and i agree with you i think having life experience before you go into this and like while you're at this actually i think is really important to stay connected with the world because again how can you tell stories about the world if you're not connected with it no totally yeah all right. Uh, any last questions, Akina? Or yeah, you're you can only use one light, only one unit. Which one? Oh my god, that's <laughs> that is a, that is an awful question. Oh my god, <laughs> no offense. Um, oh shit, one unit. And you know, it's for, for different kind of things. You're shoot, you're gonna be shooting brand content. You're gonna be shooting short, and you have a feature. You can only have, you carry around, your gaffer carries one light. This is really difficult. I have the lame, I have one lame answer. I can give you two. One would be sunlight. Ah. If you give me the sun, I can work with it. However, even I feel like at night, you know, you can still do day for night. Like that's probably the best source you can Mm -hmm. find. And and then my second answer, actually also kind of in relation to that, would be like maybe a set of like, CRLS kind of like reflector panels, mm-hmm. but that also to do with the sun actually, because it just it kind of becomes multiple 
sources because I'm not, you know, go out there and say like, oh, this brand of LED or, or you know, sure. HMIs mm. doesn't specifically work for everything. You know, tungsten, sure, but like which one? So I feel like mm. sunlight if I, if I can choose. Yeah. That was a good answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Um, so where can we find you on the internet? You know, where can the AI finds you? you? You can find me on all the common the common places. Uh, of course, I mentioned Free the Word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you can find me on Instagram, my website. Yeah, I think those are those are probably like the main the main ones, I feel like. Yeah, you can find my stuff there. Uh, can you give us a username and website? Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, so, yes, Instagram, uh, the handle is Jojo Lamb EOP. And then the website is Jojo dash Lamb dot com because there are too many Jojo Lambs in the world. So a dash <laughs> was necessary. <laughs> thank you so much, Jojo. We really appreciate it. Yeah, You're thank you. It's great. No, thank you. I hope I wasn't too rubbish. No, you're great. No, it's great. Okay, so yeah, Jojo's fun. That was a pretty intense conversation on the AI future. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like it's like either half scaremongering or like half we're just making stuff up, you know? It's like mm-hmm. letting creativity take over and be like, who knows what could happen? We get to talking. I mean, I don't know. The, the creativity taking over is kind of like, well, I mean, you ask a bunch of filmmakers what could happen with AI. We come up with interesting solutions also you know like i am also like not well versed enough about it you know that's also Mm -hmm. the thing so it's like you're letting like my imagination is running wild when it's like maybe there's like you know there's a structure there there's there's something i think the comparison we did about the internet is actually a good one you know when the internet first came out nobody knew what it would be you know letting it because it was created to be this amorphous uncontrolled thing like that was scary to a lot of people um and look i'm not saying that there aren't deep deep dark corners of the internet because there definitely are but uh overall i think the bet the internet has transformed our world for the better um i think a lot more good of it has come out than bad that doesn't mean that stuff hasn't come out of it and I think, you know, AI does have the potential to be something like that. You know, we just are at that moment where like, oh, here's the Internet. Here's AI. It has all these possibilities and it could be really scary. It could it could go really bad, but it could also not. And it could also go in a way we, we don't even imagine, I guess, is what I'm saying. Right. I mean, technology is there to improve our lives, right? And mm-hmm. I think for some reason we've gotten to a place where we're distrustful. Yes. You know, yeah. I also think it's really refreshing how, um, you know, she can just jump. She can just say, you know what, I'm going to go to Paris. Like, how yeah. cool is that? You know, like to have that. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I just find that like that's remarkably refreshing and like brave and in a like, but comes down to, you know, having people skills and being able to charm people or like being able to network, right? Because, yeah. Uh, I honestly think I would land somewhere and be like, well, there's my DP career, you know, (laughs) I don't know know where to go. (laughs) I think 
um I had that that one. No, that's what I was going to say. It wouldn't be that bad. I mean, like I did that um like what, three and a half years ago. I I got a 9 to 5 in Sacramento. In the cinematography world, like I was a, the lead cinematographer and a creative producer for a news station up there. And part of me was like, oh, my DP career is over. I'm like, what What am I doing? Uh, so much so that I didn't tell a lot of people that I was leaving. Um, a lot of people were convinced that I was still LA based for a couple of years there. And I just didn't correct them. Um, mm. But that was really scary. It was really scary to just move and like not know anybody there, not have any sort of resources there. I was just like, well, I'm moving. I'm just doing right. this. Yep. But like, you also just land on your feet. That's the thing. Like, I think we're resilient people. We're people who are capable of doing a lot of things and we're creative and that just helps us land on our feet. Eventually we do. And I think if you see these uh, changes as opportunities, I think they can be incredible opportunities to growth and can be, it can lead to really good things. And I think that again, personally speaking, Sacramento ended up being a really good decision. It did yeah. change my career a lot. Like it allowed me to meet the people who made my third feature happen. And so, yeah, I think there, but there's a bravery. I think, yeah, Paris yeah. is a, Paris is not Sacramento. Um, so. No. no, and also, you know, um, I think that there is this underlying all of it. I think that, you know, I think what a lot of us feel is this race to success. You yes. know, it's like you're chasing the success and you're only getting older. And, you know, I think deep down inside, there's like this barometer that people are looking at and saying, like, where should I be at this age? Right. Yes. So, wait. Oh, this so and so DP was doing this when they hit this age. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like the crux of where. I mean, at least personally for me, you know, it's like a kind of am guided that way to think about my future. And I know that I shouldn't, right? Like I, I yeah. should, you know, like we're all successful in our own ways in different ways and we all take a different path and our trajectories are different. But it's sometimes hard not to say, oh, I thought, you know, maybe by the time I hit this age, I would be doing a certain, you know, bigger, bigger projects or yeah. whatever that I'm not doing or something, you know? Yeah. And I think that's something at least that limits me from saying, oh, do I want to say I'm going to jump and move to Europe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there with something. I mean, you know, one of the things I've noticed about these conversations, because this is our seventh episode, is that everyone defines success differently. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, like what Sandra wants is very different than what Jojo wants and what Veronica wants, you know? And it's just like, um, I think for me, listening to that has been like that has taken the pressure off because it's like, oh, we're just all working towards different things. And like success doesn't have to look in this one way or with this one thing. Well, and success is also defined completely different. You know, it's like mm -hmm. some people define it as like, oh, I need to make a certain amount of money. Right. Mm -hmm. or have mm -hmm. a certain kind of prestige that like you know, um, I shoot, I work for this and this, or I do this, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I, I was like, DP, I understand that because a big question that I get often, you know, mm -hmm. when I tell people I'm a cinematographer, people will say, Oh, where have I seen you? What, what, ha what things have I seen? Yeah. And like, that's a hard thing to answer when you're in this kind of like art house, like, 
you know, low, low tier feature level, you know, like yeah. you're, you're not, you probably didn't see it maybe. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I got that question recently from someone who was film industry adjacent and there's like, Oh, have I seen everything you shot? And I'm like, no. Right. And so then, <laughs> so see, that's what I'm saying. Like that sometimes makes you define success as like, yeah, you can hit a certain level. Like I need to have be, I need to be shooting Amazon shows yeah, or I need to have a show on HBO or something and, yeah. or, you know, or a, a big feature that is, theatrical released you know mm-hmm. multiple cities like those are levels of success that you know i think a lot of dps don't hit right mm-hmm. or I mean, yeah. don't you know even strive for that's the thing yeah it's yeah just, they don't they want that they don't even want that i don't yeah you know? yeah like, they just want to be able to live a a normal life you know shooting little indie dramas or like shooting commercials and like not be making these things that people um traditionally i think the the reality of the situation is that there's a flip side to it right Mm -hmm. because everyone says um and i'm not calling out the people that we interviewed i'm saying everybody in general says they're looking to make you know like meaningful stories or like good projects but at the end of the day this is also our livelihood right yes yes we have to work and we have to take work sometimes not always the thing that we are dying to work on yes right yeah and so there's this like constant balance of like you need to be successful enough so that you have options yes yes and i think i think whatever you get and that's that's like yeah there's there's that doesn't work in in this world one side of it is wrong is lying it's like yes just saying like oh i only choose projects that are important or whatever because Mm -hmm. this is my livelihood yeah in order to have the option or the illusion of choice you need to have gotten to a certain level of success Mm -hmm. yeah have option yep I mean, yeah. these are things that we we really have to face you know and some some yeah. of these things are not pretty to talk about you no. know no one get on the podcast and say oh well i'm at the point right now where i'm going to take any job i can get right? <laughs> not again saying not none of the people we have talked to yeah yeah, yeah. well <laughs> so. i mean i'll be in phases where like people be like oh i'm guessing you won't want to shoot this uh because of xyz and i'm like you know Uh what i'm in mercenary mode just pay me because i need to pay rent (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for listening today please follow us on instagram at the icfc you can also reach us by writing to icfcpodcast at gmail.com this episode was produced by Emilia Mendieta Cordova, Fabian Hausepian, Akina Van Develdi, Senda Bonet, and Barbie Lung.